364 days a year, parents teach their children not to take candy from strangers. 364 days a year, parents teach their children not to talk to strangers. But on Halloween, we mask them up and we send them door to door, extorting candy from people they don't know. Trick or treat, give me candy or I'll mess with you. On Halloween, Americans spend about $9 billion on costumes and candy and parties. And uh, not me. I'm a little cheaper than that. I spent 15 bucks on this horse's head. The reason I only spent 15 bucks on the horse's head is because I looked at the price of a, a full horse costume. And the full horse costume was 400 bucks. And I was too cheap for that. So I just settled for the head. Plus, I didn't think I could get anybody who'd be willing to walk around behind me and be the horse's rear end for the whole chapel. So here's a problem. Right now, I can't really see you. And I can't see my notes very well. And so that's getting in the way. But the other problem with wearing a mask is you're not really sure what you're getting. Thanks, Nate. You think it's one thing? Turns out to be something entirely different. That was worth it, wasn't it? But here's what you got to understand. Masks are not just a Halloween thing. Lots of us wear masks as we navigate life. The first time you really see it is in the Garden of Eden. God creates Adam and he creates Eve and it's in a perfectly perfect environment. And he says that it's very good. I mean, his creation is extraordinary and he's all in about it. And as the story goes, Adam and Eve are naked and they're unashamed. They just have this connected relationship with each other. And then sin enters the world. And as sin enters the world they begin to be ashamed. They begin to not like what they see about themselves. They sew clothes together to begin to mask up. They first hide from each other and then they hear God walking in the garden and they hide from him as if he's not going to notice that the center point of his creation is missing. And then they wear the mask of irresponsibility and blamelessness. God says, why'd you do this? And Adam said, it's not my fault. He blames God. It's the woman you gave me. If you hadn't given me this woman, I'd be okay. And he turns to Eve and Eve said, it's not my fault. It's the serpent's fault. By the way, you created all the animals, right? It's not my fault. So they both mask up and say, it's not up to us. It's not us. It's not who we are. And masking up has been part of our lives ever since. Sometimes we put on masks because of fear. We pretend to be something that we are not. If people really knew who I was, they wouldn't like me. And so we put on a mask faking it. Or maybe we put on a mask to fit in, to be accepted by some crowd we aspire to be a part of. Most of you, because I read life stories as I teach New Testament, I have you write a spiritual autobiography. Then almost every spiritual autobiography I write, people talk about making a first faith decision as a child in Bible school or Sunday school or someplace like that. Most of us grew up in Christian homes and Christian churches, but lots of us sometime around high school began to live a double life. We began to be 
pressured by peers a little bit. We began to kind of maybe even envy the party scene. And so we stepped into that world. And at first it didn't feel natural to us. And we had to fake it a little while until we made it in that setting. And so as partiers, we would have fun on Friday night. And then on Sunday, we would mask up that way again. And we would put on the mask of church-going kid. And we sang the songs and prayed the prayers. And we were caught between two realities. Rick Warren said, wearing a mask wears you out. Faking it is fatiguing. The most exhausting activity is to pretend to be what you know you're not. It's not just true in high school. We come to Iwu and some of us put on masks here. At Iwu, it's the mask of spiritual competency. You might be riddled with doubt or guilt or shame but you put on the mask of spirituality because that's what peer pressure here does. In your mind, everybody else seems to have it together and you don't. In your mind, everybody else believes easily and you struggle with it, but you put on the mask because you don't want to be found out. But hiding behind a mask of spiritual competency actually creates greater loneliness because nobody knows the real you. Maybe you put on the mask of emotional wholeness. I'm okay, even though I'm hurting. I'm fine, even though I'm lonely. I've got it all together, even though I don't. And it feels on the inside as if we're falling apart. But we're afraid to show our real selves. What if they knew I was struggling behind my mask? What if they knew I struggled with doubt? What if they knew I struggled with pornography? What if they knew I'm a cutter? What if they knew about my pain? What if they knew I'm afraid? What if they knew I'm lonely? What if they knew I'm weak? What if they knew my past? What if they knew the sins I've done? What if they knew the sins that were done to me? What if they knew my temptations? Would they still like me? Would they still accept me? What would people think of me? We wear masks because we worry a lot about that question. What would people think of me? I spent some time talking with Dr. Nate Herring last week. He's the dean of the Center for Student Success. He spent a lot of time counseling students. And we talked about that question, what will people think of me? And, you know, he, he basically said, if you find yourself asking that question, you ought to relax a little bit because, in all honesty, most people don't think about you all that much. We're too busy thinking about ourselves. And what, what, what our perceptions are and what our image is and what we're trying to sell the world. In fact, what Nate said is people will accept weakness in others because they know they're weak too. And then he says we're not as good as hi at hiding as we wish. People read our eyes. They read our body language. They see how we live. And they say there's something just off a little bit. They don't really interact with you like the way you want because you're holding them at arm's length by the mask you wear. They don't like you, they just like the you that your mask is because you're not giving them any other kind of chance. Somebody only likes you because of the mask you wear. They don't really like you. They just like the fake you. The question is, what are we gonna do about it? Can, can you identify with this mask thing at all? I mean, for me, I can. All through high school, I, I, I talk about the idea of I was an 
insider on the outside and an outsider on the inside. Inside, I struggled to connect my heart to belief. I was raised in the church. I spent all my life in the church, but it just didn't click with me. And yet, I, you know, I was on the Bible quiz team, and I sang solos, and I sang in the choir, and I memorized scripture. I was the pastor's kid. I was all those things on the outside. But on the inside, it didn't work for me. And I tried to fake it until that became untenable in my life. If you're anything like me, or if you're not like me but are still wearing a mask, I want you to think of Jesus for a minute. I want you to imagine Jesus. What, what was he like? We'll say, well, he was loving and he did miracles and he was powerful. You know, I mean, if anybody ever had it all together all the time, I'm saying it's probably Jesus in our imagination, right? I mean, I picture someone who was always in control, who was always at peace. I mean, he was going around saying, peace, be still to water and storms and it stopped. And if anybody could bring peace to the waves, surely he could bring peace to himself. I picture someone who never faltered. And if you read scripture, you can believe that until you, until you read scripture a little bit more. Now, I want to bring you to two or three scripture passages today that give us a snapshot of Jesus that most of us don't really think of. The first one happens on the night that he was betrayed, on the night before his crucifixion the next day. This is what it says in Mark chapter 14. They, the disciples and Jesus, went to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to them, sit here while I go and pray. And he took Peter, James, and John, his closest friend disciples, it seems. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled in distress. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went a little farther and fell to the ground and he prayed if it were possible that the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Did you notice it? This Savior who we think of as always being the perfect picture of peace says my soul is deeply troubled and distressed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Basically, he doesn't hide his anguish. He says to Peter, James, and John, guys, I'm dying here. I don't know if I can make it. I'm struggling. I, I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. I'm messy right now. I need you to pray with me. And then he goes to the Father. And he says, Abba, Father, Daddy, please, is there any other way? This way is so hard. Please let there be another way. Now, I'm committed to do your will, but please. I don't know what picture you have of Jesus. My general picture of him is always one of competence and confidence. And here he's struggling. It's interesting to me how often we try to hide that from others and how often we try to hide that from God. Adam and Eve did it first in the Garden of Eden. Jesus refused to do it in the garden called Gethsemane. And we sometimes live as if we're living in Eden, not Gethsemane. 
Sometimes we pretend we don't have spiritual struggles or emotional ones or relational ones. If we can ignore them long enough, maybe they'll just go away. We pretend we don't have doubts. We pretend we don't have fears. And Jesus says, I'm dying here. And if the perfect son of God struggled, never sinned, but if he struggled with the emotion of dealing with this agony, is it reasonable to think that we should not have struggles? If the perfect son of God was willing to admit his pain, why do we think it's such a good idea to hide ours? And maybe some of you might say, but John, that's just one week in Jesus' life, one week moment in Christ's life. You know there are other moments like this. Earlier in the week, there are a couple of Greek guys who come up to some of his disciples and say, we'd like to see Jesus. And they're right there, and I think Jesus is right there too. And Jesus doesn't say, hey guys, come on over. He just begins to, to talk about a kernel of wheat remaining alone and it's only by itself and if it falls into the ground it dies it produces this huge crop he began the, the, the title of the section in my bible of that section of scriptures jesus talks about his death and while he's talking about it this is what he says in john 12 now my soul is deeply troubled should i pray father save me from this hour but this is the very reason i came Father, bring glory to your name. Did you notice the words deeply troubled? The words translated troubled is from a Greek word that means to agitate by its movements to and fro. To and fro, back and forth. So Jesus is describing some internal conflict that's going on in his life. I kind of picture it as an internal tug of war that part of him is saying, I've come to give my life. And part of him is saying, you've got to be kidding. This is so painful. I've, but I've come to give my life. But... but but I've never sinned and I'm about to take on the sin load, the guilt load of the entire world's sin on myself and I don't know what it's like to be separated from the Father. And I'm agonized over that and he's pulling this way and he says, but that's why I came. And he goes back and forth, this struggle. This is Jesus being open and honest, not just with his closest friends, but with others as well. He's deeply committed to the plan of redemption, but he quakes at the cost, and he admits it. But openness and honesty is not something new for him. Matthew 4 recounts the story of Christ's temptation in the wilderness after 40 days. This is at the beginning of his ministry. The temptations are real to him. There's something about them which is attractive. And we don't think about it that way. We just think of temptation rolling off the back of Jesus without, without, without any consequence. But Hebrews chapter 2 tells us he himself suffered when he was tempted. Temptation is always attractive or it wouldn't be temptation. And the gospel writer details what, what, what happened. Now before we get there, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever heard the story about the three guys who were trying to figure out which the, what, what was the greatest invention ever? They, they talked about things like fire and electricity and stuff until one of them finally settled on, on the idea of it was a computer. He thinks the computer is the best invention ever. It does massive calculations just like that. And we send people to the moon because of the computer and our cars run because of computers. He just thought everything that was so computer dependent and he thought it was the computer that was the best invention. The second guy said, thought for a minute and he said, oh, well, I recognize that, but I think, it's the, I think it's the smartphone. I mean, it connects you to the internet and it connects you to each other and we have this global world of connection. 
because of, of smartphones. And, and the third guy thought for a moment and he said, you know, those are good, but I think the greatest invention might be the thermos bottle. And I says, a thermos bottle, why? He says, because it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. And you go, yeah, what's the big deal with that? He says, how does it know? I wondered if anybody would laugh at that. I wonder if that was a pity laugh. But when you, ever read, when you read the temptations of Jesus, do you ever ask yourself the question, how did Matthew know? How did he know? The most logical suggestion is that Jesus told him. The most logical thing is that Jesus is walking with them one day and he sees some temptation occur. He sees them wrestling with it. Maybe they succeed with it. Maybe they fail with it. Maybe they try to hide it because they don't want the, the master to see they're being tempted. And Jesus, as he walks along the road with them, or maybe, in my imagination, around the campfire that night, says, guys, I need to tell you a story. Because at the very beginning of ministry, I mean... You know, I was baptized and the Holy Spirit came down, descended like a dove, and then I was led out into the wilderness for 40 days. I fasted and I was tested. The temptation was strong. He tells him his story of weakness and his story of obedience because he refused to wear a mask. And yet some of us mask up because it seems to be the most sensible thing for us. If people really knew what was going on, what would they think? If God really knew what was going on, what would he think? By the way, that's one of the dumbest things we think. God always knows. I've tried to hide from him in my past. He always knows. So let me suggest four, maybe five things to you that might help us if you're wearing a mask right now whatever it is of competency, of spirituality, of everything's okay. You need to, first of all, realize the price of the masks you wear. You wear your mask in order to be accepted, in order to be connected, but because of the mask, no one knows the real you. They don't like the real you. They only like the fake you because that's all they know, and mask friendships are shallow. And guys, gals, we're designed for more than that. We're designed for true connection. We're designed for true community. They're exhausting because you always have to say, do I have it on straight or not? And secondly, you need to accept your own brokenness, your own faults, your own weaknesses. God knows you fully, but he loves you completely. He knows you despite your struggles. He knows you despite what has been done to you. He knows you despite what you're doing. He doesn't expect to meet you at the point of perfection. He meets you right where you are when you unmask. And if you recoil from that unmasking, when the voice in your head, head says, I'm afraid, listen to the voice of truth that says you're loved. God just says, I love you. Third thing is to humble yourself. Remember what my friend Nate said, people will accept weaknesses. They know you're not perfect. They know they're not perfect. They know what they struggle with. What's quite honestly, what's more likely when you admit your struggle, when you begin to unmask, is they'll respect you for your courage. 
that you're willing to say, I'm struggling here. Fourth thing is to tell your story. Arthur Marty Rubin says, behind every mask there's a face and behind that a story. So begin to tell your story appropriately. Don't share every doubt or fear you've ever had with someone. We don't need to engage in the spewing of verbal vomit for every sin or doubt or th that we've ever had. We don't need to pour out four hours of stuff that leaves the other person just glazed. But share something. Lift the corner of the mask a little bit and experiment with saying, this is what I'm going through right now. It'll feel scary to you. You might think, but what if they don't like the real me? Well, be honest. A lot of them don't like the fake you. Not everybody does. And so take a chance that to, 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 for them to like the real you. Now here, let me give you a costume. When somebody begins to take off a mask, listen. And have the courage to do the same yourself. If you begin to take a chance on them, and they begin to take a chance on you, pretty soon we have a chance at real community. Jesus said, my soul is troubled. I'm torn here. Can't we be honest enough with each other to admit the same? Let me pray for you.